reading verses 25 through 32. Today we're talking about, we'll be discussing the grieving or bringing sorrow to the Holy Spirit of God. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer. But rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. The magnitude of a crime is not only determined by the crime itself, but by the dignity of the person against whom the crime is committed. There are murders committed every day in the, in the country. Most of those murders we never even hear about. Surely most of them do not impact us in any way. But a murder was committed in downtown Dallas on November the 22nd, 1963, and the whole world felt its impact. And the country grieved when a president was murdered. And those of you who were, can remember that can remember exactly what you were doing, exactly where you were the first time you heard the news. For a murder, the magnitude of a murder is not just determined by the murder, but by the dignity of the person against whom that murder was committed. Now, if after this service this morning I punched Joe Barrett in the nose, that'd be one thing. Some of you probably think he deserved it. <laughs> but if I walked up to some elderly lady this morning and after the service and punched her in the nose, I'd probably be riding out of town before dark. Um... It is one thing to bring you sorrow. It is one thing if I hurt your feelings. And I would never want to do that, whether you really believe that or not. It does really cause me great grief when I hear that I've hurt somebody's feelings. That's one thing. But to grieve or to bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit of God, that's another thing. The magnitude of that is literally awesome. I remember the first time I 
I read from a Greek New Testament the account of Jesus when He looked out over Jerusalem. It says that He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would, if you would let me take you like a hen, gathers her chicks. And the, and the modern translation is that He looked over Jerusalem and He wept. I never forget the first time I read that from a Greek New Testament. Literally it says that He sighed with sympathy and he shook with emotion. And the word means to turn inside out. He was so intense was his sorrow when he looked over Jerusalem that he almost threw up. And who can forget reading about the time that Simon Peter denied his Lord. And he turned and for the first time after his denial he saw Jesus. And Jesus never said a word but the pain of that look caused Simon to, quote, weep bitterly. Now, none of us this morning would ever bring, do anything that would bring sorrow to the Lord, would we? And yet, that is exactly what we do. And there are some today who have in their lives that which grieves the Holy Spirit of God. That's a love word. A person cannot be grieved if he didn't love you. The only way you would ever grieve somebody is that they have a great love for you. To love somebody makes them vulnerable. So when it says that we grieve him, it means that out of this heart of love comes this sorrow that's indescribable because we have in our life that which is contrary to His nature. Now there are some consequences to us of grieving the Holy Spirit. You can't grow spiritually if you're grieving the Holy Spirit. You can't have joy if you're grieving the Holy Spirit. It robs you of the joy of your salvation. I've been in homes where there is much grief and much grieving. I was there this week. And I saw this little lady who, who had just given up her husband. And, and I'll tell you, I, I said to the family, this gets, this gets harder. When I, as I watched that little woman grieve over her husband, she'd had strokes, couldn't even talk. But the tears and the sorrow was just awful. And when you go into a home where there's much grieving, there's no light there. And there's no laughter there, and levity is out of place there. There's only sorrow and pain and hurt and heartache. I hate it. And the hardest thing that a pastor ever has to do is to go into a home where there's grieving. There'd be no joy there. Now listen to me. Your heart is the home of the Holy Spirit. It's where He has chosen to live on this earth at this point in time. And if you have that which grieves Him, there's no light in your heart. Oh, you may go out on Saturday night and have a good time, but there's no laughter there, and there's no joy where He's grieved. And you lose the assurance of your salvation. It's significant that He says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Because we noticed at the beginning of this discussion on the ministry of the Holy Spirit that a function of the sealing is to guarantee 
the reality of something. The reason I know I'm saved is because of the witness of the Holy Spirit in me. He validates that as real. And if I have that in my life which grieves Him, it neutralizes His ministry. And He cannot bring me assurance so that if you've lost the assurance of your salvation, check your life to see if there's that in it which grieves the Holy Spirit. Now the question is, what brings this sorrow to God? Well, if you look at the 30th, ver 30th verse, it begins with the word and, and grieve not the Holy Spirit. And that little word and there means that what he's saying about grieving connects that grieving to everything else he says in this passage. In other words, he's saying to us, I'm going to be specific now and I'm going to tell you what grieves the Holy Spirit. I want to say two or three things before we get to the specific. I want to say first of all that these commands here concerning the grieving not the Holy Spirit are both positive, negative and positive. In other words, for every don't, there's a do. He's saying don't lie, don't speak falsely, but speak the truth, that's the positive. And he says, stop stealing from one another. You say, well, I never would do that. I don't, I'm no thief. Yet you can steal one's reputation by criticism and you can steal one's honor by the life you live. He says, stop stealing. But let every man work, labor with his own hands so that he might give to those who have need. And the implication is this, that if you're not giving to those who have need, it's the same as a thief who takes from them. And he says, stop using filthy language. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Stop using filthy language, but speak those things which are edifying. And the implication is that if you're not encouraging others with positive encouragement, it's the same thing as profanity. It's the same thing as speaking words that you shouldn't speak. There's a, both, there's a negative and a positive command. Second thing about this is this that without exception, the grieving of the Holy Spirit occurs with regard to our relationship with others. Without exception, the sins that grieve the Holy Spirit have to do with our relating to other people. Let me tell you something. God doesn't take lightly how you treat other people. And the third thing that needs to be said is this is that the sin of grieving the Holy Spirit always begins with our attitude, our disposition. That's true in this case. And there is a graduation of intensity. In other words, it goes from the lesser to the greater. Now I want you to take the New Testament you have open in your hands, in your lap there, on your lap, and I want you to look it with me at verse 31. There is the graduation of severity with this. And it begins with the foundational one, and that's the one at the end. It says in verse 31, along with all malice. Now it comes at the end, but it doesn't mean it's the most severe. It means it's the foundational one. There's a construction in the Greek that, that suggests that this is the foundation on which the others are built. Now watch this. Down here on the foundation, this attitude, this sin of disposition is called all malice. Literally, it's a spiteful disposition. 
Now, I know there's not anybody here this morning who has a spiteful disposition. I just, everything I do, I do in spite. Like the little boy he prayed one day, he said, Lord, I'll be so glad when I get to heaven because I know my brother won't be there. It's a spiteful disposition. And when you have a spiteful disposition, when somebody does a little something wrong, you just can't wait till you can get back. And you just look for opportunities to cut them down. Better if, if they're there in public. And if you have a spiteful disposition and the preacher does something you don't like, you say, I'm just not going to church anymore. I, or I'm just not going to give to the budget. Spiteful disposition. And the next step up the ladder is bitterness. Spiteful disposition leads to bitterness. And that word means long-standing resentment, brooding resentment. And it's a spirit that refuses to be reconciled. It just broods. And then there's wrath. That leads to wrath. And wrath is best translated irritation. You, you just irritate me. And every time I see you, it's like a thorn in my side. I, every time I hear your name, it just rubs me the wrong way. You irritate me. And that leads to anger, which is the loss of temper. The venting of this frame of mind, which leads to clamor, which is a violent outrage, which leads to slander. Now, does that seem strange to you? That when he gets to the top, of the sins that grieve the Holy Spirit at the top is speaking evil about somebody. It just explodes the myth. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. It just does away with that. Listen to me very carefully. I'd rather for you to take a club and beat me over the back than to talk evil about me behind it. For when you talk down somebody behind their back, you do more damage to them than in any other thing you could do to them. And you grieve the Holy Spirit. Now that's the negative. And the positive is, they says, but be tender-hearted and kind. Now, the Apostle Paul wasn't present when the Lord told, gave the Sermon on the Mount, but these words are strangely familiar with those words. As a matter of fact, this is Paul's answer to the Sermon on the Mount. This is Paul's Sermon on the Mount. And he's saying the same thing that Jesus said when he said, love your enemies. And what he's saying is this, that you treat your enemy as though he were your friend. Let me ask you a question. If you had the power this morning to do anything you wanted to to your enemy, you had the power to do anything you chose to do and, and get by with it, you could do anything you wanted to to anybody, what would you do to your enemy? And you say, well, I don't have that power. Yes, you do. You have the power to speak down concerning them and if the Holy Spirit indwells you, you have the power to treat them as a friend. And he says, and forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. Now Jesus told a parable one time about a, 
man who, was, who owed another person a million dollars. Literally, the Greek words there, he owed him a million dollars. And he went to him on the day that it was due. And he cried and he wept and he begged for forgiveness. He said, I can't pay. The guy said, forget it. The debt's canceled. And he forgave him the debt of a million dollars. On his way back rejoicing, he met a man who owed him 10 cents. Literally in the Greek. And the man said, I can't pay you. And so he grabbed him and threw him in debtor's prison. Now remember that the magnitude of a crime is determined not just by the crime, but the dignity of the person against whom the crime has been committed. And what Jesus is saying is this, you folks have committed a crime of immeasurable proportions because it is a crime against me and I've forgiven you. Now these little old things that people do against you that are not worth 10 cents, you forgive them in the same way. You know what forgiving someone means? It's, it means that you're willing to tear up the IOUs you hold against them. Now, something needs to be said at this point about what one should do if he grieves the Holy Spirit. Now, with your New Testament in your hand, I want you to turn to 1 John because I want you to get in the habit of turning to this verse. It's 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. 1 John 1, 9. Now, I want everybody to get in the habit of looking at this and I want you to take out your pencil and I want you to circle a few words here I'm going to mention. Now, in the context of forgiveness, Paul is teaching us that when we are grieving the Holy Spirit, there are some things we need to stop doing and there are some things we need to start doing. But before we begin, we must be forgiven. And here's how it happens. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us, give us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Circle the word all. Circle the word confess. Do I speak to someone this morning who knows in his life there is that which grieves the Holy Spirit? And it has to do with your relating to other people in some way. Maybe not that, but other ways. What do you need to do before you leave this place? If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Now you know that that word confess there means to agree with. It means to say the same thing. And it's more than just an admission of our wrong. It is agreeing with God. It is taking sides with God against our sin. It means that somehow I am so touched by my sin. I agree with Him. I take free with God and I 
I join with Him concerning my sinlessness. Even those times where you fail again and again in the same area, deepest conviction that if you have made honest confession of your sin, even when you commit it in the same area, the same thing again, and the reason why He does it, it's as though I've never done it before because He forgets it. This deep sense of guilt or sin, and He said, well, have you confessed that sin to God? And so a mother heard her little girl playing that. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to break something. And she went and broke this favorite lamp when she went in. And the little girl was, you know, and the mother said, I forgive you. And I'll never mention it again. In the little girl's room, carelessly, she stepped on a toy and broke it. And she, she, oh, the little girl grabbed her mother around the neck and said, that's all right, I forgive you. About forgiveness. So that when we are forgiven, it just causes us to forgive. I'm able to zero in on what I want to say here today. I want you to try your best. Hang on to this. I have one cult of all questions. It's this. In your life, unconfessed. The question, how do you feel about it? Bible scholar to come to the New Testament and just feel, grieve him. The question is, one of the great marks of a saint is, and so David cried, wash me, and you can just hear the pain. For this man took a bath in a marble bathtub, regal robes, but he felt dirty. As a matter of fact, Sin may be so much a part of his nature. Can they sin? For we're all human, and we all do. The real loathes it. And a sinner leaps into sin. A person who is in fellowship with the Lord and is not grieving the His flesh was drying up, and his bones were being broken. And smote his breast and cried, Oh, my sin against the sky. Was only a childish ignorance, this theology, that we can get away. From. Jesus, as you can.